Whatcom's water crisis is solvable. There is hope. But the solution is likely not on the path that some are loudly calling for. Welcome back to the Farming Show on a Saturday morning. Dylan Honkoop with you here on KGMI News Talk 790 and 96.5 FM in Bellingham. Um, really great visit of late uh, from some national experts on water issues. And of course, we talk about water a lot on this program. And interestingly, with, with as much as our conversation has gone on about everything happening here, um, I had some people uh, complain to me recently, well, what's this water crisis that you're talking about? We don't have a water crisis. And I had to say, I, I, I think I sent the person a picture of, of uh, the badger in the middle of that flood in November and said, you don't think this was a crisis? And they said, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. Now, it, we have way too much water at some times, a.k.a. the massive flood that we saw and the potential for more flooding and, and a history of flooding on the Nooksack River. We also have a pattern of streams getting too low at uh, times of year that happen to be particularly sensitive for fish. So it, it, it's not a water shortage, but it is a water crisis, in that water in the Nooksack Basin is not managed the way it should be. Again, we've talked a lot about this on the program, and the event this week put on by Whatcom Family Farmers and the Ag Water Board and others was talking about solutions for this. We brought in some national experts. We talked uh, with one of those, Ramsey Krupp, recently here on the program. Uh, one of our other uh, visitors joins us on the program now, Dan Keppen. He's executive director of the Family Farm Alliance. Uh, they're about protecting water for Western irrigated agriculture. Dan, welcome to the program. Um, you say there is is hope. That was kind of the the upshot of the overall message uh, that you shared. But at the same time, this is a serious situation you see that we have here. Absolutely. Well, uh, hey, Dylan, thanks for letting me join you today. Um, uh, yeah, I, so I spent, I guess, three days um, uh, up in, in your community uh, this, earlier this week and had a chance to drive around, check some things out, and also met with just a lot of the local farmers as, as well as Department of Ecology and uh, county officials. And that was a great event that, that you guys put on the other night uh, uh, for your community, which which I, I was fortunate to speak at. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you guys uh, definitely have uh, – there's some challenges there. But, you know, we represent at Family Farm Alliance members throughout the West, and the biggest challenge they have usually is, is, is water scarcity, especially with the Western drought that we've had for the last couple of years. Um, but some of the challenges that you're facing there uh, in your community um, uh, have been faced by others, and I would say uh, you have a lot of leaders in your community that are, are, are really foresighted and are looking at ways to sort of get in front of it before it turns into some of the crisis type situations that we have elsewhere like where i live here in klamath falls oregon in the klamath basin which is sort of like the poster child for exactly. the water conflict in the west unfortunately yeah yeah i think a lot of people are familiar with that idea of you know things have been rough as far as water water access and farming there in the klamath basin southern oregon northern california um and 
you're saying, hey, you've been through a lot of stuff there. I, I know you guys still have a battle, so to speak, on your hands, but you've been close um, if it weren't for some major hurdles that were, were thrown your way. But you've made a lot of progress in the past moving towards solutions. You, you have a lot of different tools in your toolbox there to try to work that situation out. So with all of that background, you come here and you're saying, well, at least as, as the headline in the Linden Tribune uh, on the article about our event says, Whatcom's water problems are solvable. And you're saying that's because we actually do have water here. That's it. That's right. So um, that that's the big difference, I would say, uh, is the fact that uh, compared to other parts of, of the arid west, um, you have you have water. And and plus, I believe there's a you know, there's a sort of a local will, a political will to sort of come up with a, a solution from the local level. And, and from standpoint of Family Farm Alliance, we, we feel like the best water solutions are those that come to the local level. Um, identifying, you know, the folks that you can work with to, to sort of achieve that. And, and, and again, um, you're, you're, you're thinking about this. I think your community leaders are thinking about this in a really, uh, good way early on. And, and again, the, the, the difference there is you do have plenty of water, you know, like you said early on in your comments today, um, there was, you know, you had a real tough, tough dry period there, which was having an impact on, on stream flows that affect salmon. Uh, and then just a few weeks later, you're, you're hit with a, a deluge that made the national news. Um, and when you talk about lack of management, I, I think the term I would use or, or, or the, what you described is, is very um, symptomatic of a situation that needs the infrastructure, <laughs> in my personal view, yeah. you know, to capture that water when it's in excess during excess times of flow so that you can use it during the dry, the dry years. So, um, I, I think there's opportunities to, to do that where you live too. Uh, again, um, because of the tremendous amount of water that you have, it all comes at a, at a certain time that could be stored and, and used for other times when you really need it. Family Farm Alliance Executive Director Dan Keppen with us right now on the Farming Show on your Saturday morning here on KGMI. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Dan, um, you've been through so much there in the Klamath Basin. You've been involved in water issues in a lot of other places around the western United States. Um, and you talk about infrastructure, and that's you know could be a big part of the solution. In fact, that, that's something that some of these other places that still have battles have. Um, maybe they have, like you're mentioning, different issues of actual shortage of water. We we have enough water here. We just don't have it at the right time. So we need the inner infrastructure to manage that. A lot of people here, a, have felt like we're all on our own. Um, and it's encouraging to hear from someone like you that, no, other areas have gone through this. There are ways of dealing with this. There is, you know, there are very various processes out there to, to do this and tools in the toolbox. Um, and then further, you're saying infrastructure, is that possible? I know there's a lot of skepticism here of, you know, would anything be done? Would that money be spent? Where would that money come from? That's going to cost, you know, millions, hundreds of millions, billions, who knows how many dollars, you know, is that money even out there? Will that be acceptable? Um, and from what you were sharing here, you're saying, yeah, that is within the realm of possibility as much as people say, ah, that'll never happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for, for a couple of reasons, um, you know, first of all, um, uh, the reason I'm hopeful is, is I, I do believe you, you have several, you know, pretty strong interests in the county. 
um, you know, you have the city, Bellingham and other uh, urban areas. You have um, the tribes and you have the farming community. And um, uh, if people can get together and sit down, recognizing that it's going to be a tough sort of negotiating process, but sit down, develop those relationships and come up with a game plan of action items that can be done, having support from a sort of a diverse group like that really helps your chances out with getting funding both from the state level and the federal level. And I know at the meeting the other night, there was some conversation about, you know, well, what we need is, is, is some dams, perhaps off stream storage or some sort of infrastructure that captures this excess water during the flood events. And then, you know, so you can store it and use it during, during the drier periods. Um, for a long time, uh, there was really sort of an anti-dam uh, sentiment uh, with the general public, I would say there's certain groups that still feel that way about dams um, and storage projects. But the political reality is policymakers are starting to recognize that it has to be part of the mix. And we're not one of those groups that goes out there and, and says, you know, it's, it's dams, dams, dams. That's right. what we need. Right. We've always advocated for like a suite of 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 supply enhancement projects like dams or off-stream storage or groundwater storage projects coupled with demand management projects like conservation, uh, desal, water reuse, water recycling, watershed management. Um, all of those things are needed, you know, in some uh, mix that fits right. the locality, right? And so we've actually seen, you know, uh, the state of California stepped up with dollars for storage projects in the last uh, 15 years. Congress in 2015 uh, included uh, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, for new storage projects in the West. It's called the WIN Act, and those dollars are aimed at developing big projects in California, but also in over the Yakima Basin and uh, on the Boise River in Idaho. Just this week, Senator Feinstein introduced legislation that would extend that authority of that legislation. Uh, so those projects that have already been queued up and have made it through design and you know feasibility, all that sort of thing, can actually be built. And then the last example I'd point to is the bipartisan infrastructure law that was signed in, signed by President Biden in November of, of last year. Um, there's $8.3 billion in there just for the Bureau of Reclamation, of which about a billion is for storage. There's other components, though, within the Bureau of Reclamation um, funding that that your community could apply for, even though it's not a, a Bureau of Reclamation area. There's watershed programs and uh, fisheries programs, uh, pro dollars there that, that I think you could apply for locally. And then the National Resource Conservation Service, which is part of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, has a watershed program that's been used all over the country specifically to develop flood control dams, but also it's been used here in Oregon and elsewhere to, to do sort of irrigation modernization projects. So uh, the time is right. You know, I think if uh, the community up there can get together, come up with a game plan in the next five years, there's going to be, you know, billions of dollars of federal money out there for the country to apply for, especially in the Western United States. So it is possible. There, yes, sir. Some of the <laughs> even these monstrous projects that people put in kind of in the fantasy category because they think, how could we ever pay for that? You're saying those are within reach potentially. Absolutely, yeah. Because you know, again, there's going to be when you do these large projects, it's usually a combination of a variety of funds. It's it's you know local dollars, you know, 
sometimes it's irrigation districts or local government that, that kicks in part of it. This, usually there's state dollars as well. And then we've got these federal matches that are out there right now. So um, it's uh, it's doable. I think the days of, you know, building things like <laughs> like Bonneville Dam or, you know, Hoover Dam, right, right. Uh, we're never going to see that again. But nobody's really advocating for projects like that. You know, in California, probably the most um, – probably the most publicly covered potential storage project down there is called sites reservoir, which would be a big off stream storage reservoir uh, out on the West side of Sacramento Valley. That basically it's a Valley that they would, they would build a, build a big uh, sort of a wall across and they would pump surplus water out of the Sacramento river into this like newly created bathtub. And that water could be used in dry years uh, to help with California right now. If, if that, uh, if that project had been online, um, it, there'd be another million acre feet of water available for California water users. Wow. That, that's yeah, a, yeah, so that's, that's the kind of huge, stuff we're talking about. That's a huge number. And and that yep. gives us hope, even up here in little old Whatcom County in the Nooksack River Basin, that some of these bigger ideas could be within reach. Um, there could be federal funding to the degree that some of the stuff could be possible. And, and you talk about you know other um, levels of government uh, earmarking funding for that. I know the, the state of Washington in the last uh, budget that they just put together did earmark funding specifically to pursue this idea of water storage. I know even before that last summer, uh, when, when we were in drought, uh, the governor and the head of the State Department of Ecology were calling for building more storage. They said that specifically, almost verbatim, um, in their in uh, one particular press conference. So my, you know, question to them now is why why aren't we doing that? Okay, we have some money, we have the will uh, to get this done. We see the benefit. Um, water storage, and again, you're talking about how and we're talking with Dan Keppen, by the way, of Family Farm Alliance, Dan you're talking about how that has been an unpopular idea in the past and people are primarily concerned about, well, what, what could water storage facilities, water retention facilities do to salmon? What kind of negative impacts could they have? But when you look at the big picture, and this is something I've been saying for a while now, as I learn more about it in the big picture, if we're saving water when there's way too much, that's actually helping fish as well as humans and everyone right. else in, in terms of uh, flooding mitigation won't necessarily stop a flood, but could very much reduce its severity. And that actually helps fish. And then even that much more when stream flows are low and water can be released from a water retention facility that helps salmon a lot. I think the big question right now is, is not, you know, how water retention could harm salmon, I think the question that should be asked is how salmon could be harmed, continue to be harmed more and more if we don't do a project like that. I mean, isn't that yeah. really the question that people should be asking? Uh, absolutely. And, and I mean, really, um, so I, of course, I mean, I'm a big advocate for, for pro storage projects. I mean, when I first got out of school, I did engineering work up in the Portland area in the the farming communities around Portland, which a lot of them are gone now, but, yeah. but back then, you know, we, I actually, we had a lot of berry clients, you know, berry growers, just like you have up there, um, uh, and, and, also vineyards. Um, we did lots of small storage projects that really, really helped those, those farmers out. But in, in, in this case, um, what you're talking about, um, I, I, I think it would be helpful. The big, the big, the big criticism coming from, 
critics of dams when it comes to fish is when you, you know depending on where you place the dam it could have an impact on uh you know spawning areas right. that sort of thing that's what's happened in the past when these dams that were built in the 40s 50s and 60s people just weren't looking out for the environment like they are today yeah uh so the big plus i see is um if you get a properly cited project or projects that that has minimal impacts on the on the migratory corridor and uh, in fact uh you know, it could be coupled with restoration actions that, you know, mitigate for that. Um, the, the big plus is you're going to have extra water that could probably even be dedicated to these fish passage purposes when the, when the flows get low. It could put you in a situation where you can actually try to manage and help the fish. Uh, who I understand last year there was some sort of a die-off way up high in the system. Um, yep. Having that stored water, you know, that could have helped those fish make it. Uh, might have prevented that if that had been in place. Exactly. And so I, I think the question for those that have been historically standing in the way of doing that kind of stuff, um, I think those folks need to answer for why are you opposing these things that could actually help fish as much or more than, than anyone or anything in this big system that is the Nooksack Basin. I, we really start need, need to start asking that question. Um, that if we simply sit back and say, okay, well, I guess you're, you're too concerned about some potential problems. Well, let's study it. Let's see w what we can do. Let's see what the trade-offs could be. Certainly, the, everything has pros and cons, positives and negatives. Let's look at those from the big picture and see what's really going to do, be the best for salmon, be the best for families and communities here, and the best for farming. And and I think that would lead us to some different answers than maybe some some noisy voices have been uh, kind of enforcing uh, in in recent years and decades uh, that have kept this water management crisis that we see now uh, continuing to worsen. Again, we're talking with Dan Keppen, executive director of the Family Farm Alliance. He's based down in uh, southern Oregon, uh, in the Klamath Basin there, there in, in northern California. So they know about water woes. Dan, when we come back, if you have time to hang with us for uh, the second segment after the break, I would love to talk more about what's going on down there in Klamath. I think it's important for people to understand the true nature of what's happening there. And I also want to find out more about Family Farm Alliance, the kinds of things that you guys do all over the West. Um, so if that's possible, if you could stay with us. Um, Absolutely. We'll yeah, do, Dylan. Let, let's chat about that right after the break. Stay with us. This is The Farming Show here on KGMI News Talk 790 and 96.5 FM in Bellingham. I know sometimes it can feel like the things that we really need to get done here in Whatcom County to prevent another flooding disaster, to protect fish, to keep a farming community, to keep farming continuing, all of these things, you know, with the water crisis that we face, water management crisis, too much water at sometimes, not enough at others. Sometimes it feels like the things that we need to do are are just too pie in the sky just is that really going to happen are we really going to you know develop water storage uh, when people think about the different ways that that could and by the way it, that doesn't necessarily have to mean um 
the you know another Grand Coulee Dam by any stretch. There are a lot of different ways of doing it now uh, that are much more sensitive to the environment, since that is often one of the concerns. And there's a huge environmental benefit to be seen there, as we talked about in in the first half with Dan Keppen of the Family Farm Alliance. Welcome back. I'm Dylan Honkoop here on the Farming Show on KGMI. Um, Dan Keppen uh, is uh, still with us here on the program. Dan uh, visited up here in Whatcom County recently to check out our situation. His background isn't just with the Family Farm Alliance, but what he does uh, at the Alliance is all... Um, born out of his experience over many years uh, with what's happening where he calls home in the Klamath River Basin, Southern Oregon, Northern California, as well as his involvement in in water issues in many other places. Um, this is a guy that uh, has, with all of that experience and that involvement, uh, found himself back in D.C. testifying to Congress on these important issues as well. So it's great to have somebody of his background and knowledge and influence in this involved in our local situation here. Welcome back, Dan. Talk about... Um, again, we're saying you're saying there is hope. Uh, just to repeat that as we come back, if, if people are just joining us, you're saying it is doable. That was the message that you shared with us during your visit, and that's what you're saying again here today, that we need to come together as a community and, and we can make this happen. Yeah, and, and in fact, I think that that's probably the, some of the first words out of my mouth the other night at, at your community meeting. You know, you know, this is a solvable problem. And um, I, I think, you know, if the community comes together as soon as possible, starts sitting down, developing those relationships, developing trust, comes up with a sort of a community-driven game plan because of the amount of water that you have up there, it's, it's, a, it's a realistic, realistic doable uh, uh, thing uh, to come up with a, a long-term sort of integrated fix that, that benefits, you know, all the various water sectors in your county. Okay, coming together as a community. What? What does that actually look like? Well, um, so, I mean, I, I can point to the example of, of Klamath, uh, if you want to talk about that. Um, so, and, and honestly, you know, our community has been um, in a lot of conflict over, I'd say, almost the last 30 years. Yeah. But I'll, I'll, let me provide just a little bit of background for your, for your listeners, because sure. uh, it is a little bit different situation than, than you have up there. So uh, where I live in, in, in the Klamath Falls, Oregon, Klamath Basin, uh, it's pretty, it's high elevation, right? We're at 4,300 foot elevation, uh, arid climate. We get about 11 inches of, of precipitation per year. But there's a lot of other areas in the West that are also like that. Uh, and there are also places that you can really grow food, really like high quality food. And so that's what we see in places like the Central Valley of California and Imperial and Yuma down in the Southwest, uh, it, even in, in Washington, you know, the, the Columbia Basin Project uh, on the eastern part of the state, yep. they're all reclamation projects. And uh, the Bureau of Reclamation um, got its authority by the Reclamation Act in the early 1900s, around 1904, I believe. And basically, the whole idea back then was feeding the country was a huge priority. And settling the West was also a big priority. And so the Reclamation Act basically encouraged the development of these federal water projects that were sort of uh, funded initially and financed by the federal government. They came in and built these projects that captured snow melt, stored them for use during dry years and uh, dry summers. And so that was really so the whole idea of, of the Reclamation Act. The Klamath Irrigation Project was one of the first three federal reclamation projects built in the West. 
and the construction started about 1906. Um, that project was built specifically to store water for irrigated agricultural purposes. Uh, a few decades after uh, construction of the first phase of the project, the first national wildlife refuge in the country was established mm. by Teddy Roosevelt, which is the uh, which is the Lower Klamath and, and Tule Lake National Wildlife Refuges, mm. um, which were you know once called the Everglades of the West because of their important role they played for waterfowl going up and down the Pacific Flyway. Wow. Um, so, uh, for decades, um, this project uh, grew. Um, the original uh, sort of water users and farmers and ranchers in the project were homesteaders. Um, and to become a homesteader, they, they essentially created their own community. And uh, you had to be a veteran of World War One or World War Two to, to, to be a homesteader. They actually they drew the names, the lucky names out of a uh, out of a pickle jar. And uh, wow. those are the folks that came in and started this project. And so they built up this great farming community. Our crops here are really potatoes, uh, mint, used to have sugar beets, a lot of pasture for cattle, um, garlic, onions, uh, barley, wheat, things like that. Yeah. Um, so for, for decades, the project served its intended purpose. And then starting about, um, oh, I'd say late 70s, early 80s, there's four federally recognized uh, tribes here in the Klamath Basin they began to sort of um, exert themselves rightfully um, and they wanted to, to sort of exert some of their tribal trust uh, issues. And they really focused on um, listing fish under the Endangered Species Act. The, the suckers in Upper Klamath Lake were an important cultural um, aspect of their way of life mm -hmm. and downstream the tribes in California, the salmon obviously were, yeah. were really important. And so, our project basically operated, um, you know, the way it was intended to, the way it was designed up until about 19, I'd say 92. Mm. Um, by that time, the suckers had been listed by, under the Endangered Species Act. The Fish and Wildlife Service uh, was brought in to consult to make sure that Klamath Project operations were in, impacting those fish in the way that they, 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 they said that, they could, that the fish could avoid being um, jeopardized was to control lake levels. Uh, in the reservoir, the lake behind the, the Link River Dam. So that cut into the water supply that the farmers used to get. And then coho salmon were listed uh, about, uh, oh, 10 years later. Uh, and the government agencies at that point said, well, we got to send more water downstream to prevent jeopardy to those fish. So the combined result of those biological opinions, they call them, uh, led to a point in 2001 where the farmers got their water shut off for the first time ever. All that water that used to go to the farms instead was dedicated yeah. to environmental purposes. And that was in the national news, big deal. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, that's why that's when I first came to the Klamath Basin. I took over the Klamath Water Users Association at that point, and you can imagine, uh, you know, the community was reeling. Um, mm. It was probably the biggest economic impact the community had ever had ever felt. Uh, and then the following year there was a massive fish die-off on the Klamath River down near the Pacific Ocean, which really impacted the downstream tribes and the commercial fishermen. So that year, those folks were fired up. Yeah. Uh, there was a, just a lot of tension going on. We had about a two-year cool-down. And at the same time all this is happening, we're approaching a point where the big power company on the Klamath River had to relicense its dams, the hydropower dams, which had mm -hmm. nothing to do with irrigation. That forum, the relicensing process, sort of brought people together 
where everybody sat down and said, you know what, we don't just need to tackle this this dam issue or the power issue. Let's see if we can tackle uh, uh, the water situation as well. And that led ultimately to five years of negotiations. And uh, in 2010, settlement agreements were developed on the Klamath River. So when you're, <laughs> this is a really long answer to your question about yeah. what does community coming together mean. But it took, I think it took these two really, really bad situations, um, upper basin, lower basin, affecting different parts of the community to demonstrate that we have to come up with a fix that uh, yeah. helps everybody. We've got to prevent those things from happening again. Well, and, and while the specifics are different, you know, it's similar to our situation in that it's a long story. There's a lot of history. There are a lot of different yeah. players and a lot of various concerns, and it takes mm-hmm. time. Unfortunately, at times, at points, there can be conflict and animosity, uh, but you're saying the community ultimately did come together, and at the end of it, well, I guess it's really not the end, but the disappointing point part was Congress dropping the ball. Right. So they ended up with a settlement that took care of basically it revolved around the dams coming out of the Klamath River. In exchange for that, the farmers actually got a more reliable water supply because the regulatory focus on their operations was was lessened. And so the regulations being freed up gave them more flexible water, lots of money in there for restoration projects for the fish. The Klamath tribes were to return or to have a certain portion of their old reservation returned to them. A lot of different things. Right. Everybody had to give up a little bit, but in the long run, everybody benefited. Mm. Uh, the agreement that was signed in 2010 said it had to be authorized by Congress by the end of 2015. And unf- unfortunately, uh, just the politics going on in the House of Representatives particularly sort of prevented uh, that settlement from, from getting the blessing of Congress. And so once that time passed, the last December 31st, 2015 passed, the agreement had um, had off ramps where people could go back to the way things were, which is mm. which is how they are <laughs> right now. And it's people, you know, suing each other every year, attacking each other in the press. And we're in a situation right now where our farmers got just a little sliver of their water. The tribes aren't happy because the fish are, are not recovering. And we've got just a really divided community right now. Farmers are, are, are upset with some of their neighbors. The tribes and the farming community are not getting along, and uh, the fish aren't responding in any positive way either. So it's uh, it's a bad situation. Yeah, and that bad situation echoes what we're worried could potentially happen up here if, if we continue particularly down this path that says the solution starts and happens exclusively exclusively in a, in a courtroom and not with people coming together. Any thoughts to share on, on that? You know, that's something that we've been very concerned about here. Yeah, no, I, I, so when you're in an adjudication, it's like, it's like, you know, the attorney bill said the other night, um, you, you're basically, it's a lawsuit, right? It's the state suing all the, all the water users. And, um, it's a process. It's a court that, that gets decided by, by a judge in a courtroom. And so from the get-go, once you're going down that path, you're, you're, you're creating an adversarial sort of an arena, right? Uh, and it's not just farmers versus tribes or cities versus tribes versus farmers. It, it comes down to farmer versus farmer because it's yeah. a pecking order based on the seniority of the water right. And uh, that causes tension. Um, and it's going to put people in more of a confrontational, I think, uh, draw line in the sand sort of thinking mentality um, from the get-go. On the other hand, uh, if you can get folks in the room 
to sit down and, and, and drop their legal positions, look at each other like, these are my neighbors here. Yeah. Let's sit down with our neighbors and come up with a game plan that we develop locally. And if you do that and you have cities and tribes and farmers going into Olympia, going into Washington, D.C. with a solution like what the Yakima guys came up with, yeah. they're um, the the, po- the elected officials love that. That makes their job so much easier. Well, and that's what's discouraging to me uh, based on something that you said um, during your your talk here um, when you were visiting up here in Whatcom County. By the way, we're talking with Dan Keppen. He's executive director of the Family Farm Alliance. Uh, they are all about protecting water for Western irrigated agriculture. Uh, he's based down in Klamath Falls, Oregon. So he's very, very, as I'm sure you're aware when you hear that name, Klamath Falls, he's very, very aware of and plugged into water, uh, serious water issues. Um, you said... Dan, that if you're just in a legal process, like an adjudication, something along those lines, all this money that you're talking about that could really actually finally solve this problem and protect people from flooding and protect fish and make sure there's enough water for our cities and our farming and and benefit everyone, the money likely wouldn't be available. (laughs) That's right. And not only that, the, the the dollars that everybody's going to spend on their attorneys, God bless them, <laughs> but yeah. it's tremendous. You know, while the settlement was being negotiated here in Klamath and up to the point that Congress failed to act in 2015, um, all the parties negotiating agreed to a detente as far as litigation goes. They said, mm-hmm. we're no more litigation uh, while this process is going because that's not going to help uh, our, our issues. And I'm telling you, when I when I got here in 2001 at our annual meeting every year, we we do a legal report. It was like three or four pages, single spaced, describing all the litigation that that was going on, and that's where we're at here again. So you know, you're right. You're losing opportunities at, at getting dollars that are out there that everybody could be benefiting from, and by settling and coming up with a, a community based solution. You're not spending, I'm not kidding, millions of dollars on legal fees collectively. That's why it boggles my mind that the state of Washington, the State Department of Ecology, is so insistent here on pursuing adjudication, starting this process in a courtroom. Um, That seems to be their sole focus right now when that precludes us from the actual funding to get real solutions done and really provides very little other than, I guess, a, a slightly clearer hierarchy, even though they talk about producing you know, certainty. Well, the reality is in, in your situation in Yakima, you know, after they spent decades in litigation and finally said enough of this whole litigation process, let's settle as a community. So, you know, it shows the problems of adjudication there as well as, as the win that ultimately came out of a a settlement process rather than a courtroom. But, but with all of that going on, why would we be skipping out on this? Why would we not be taking advantage of the opportunity at hand here? It, it, it doesn't, doesn't add up when, when yeah, that's the track well, record. It may be, and, and who knows? I mean, I, I am not totally 100% familiar with, you know, how, how ecology works in the state of Washington. I, yeah. Again, our organization focuses more on federal issues, but right. one of our key tenants of Family Farm Alliance is we support locally based solutions because you all know what's going on in your, your neighborhood. So I, you know, hopefully 
you know, at some point here soon, some progress can be made um, by the community, you know, coming together. Maybe that's enough to sort of demonstrate to ecology that, wow, they're moving in a different direction here. I, I just think your community wants to be able to figure out, here's, what, here's how the water is going to be divvied up. Here's how much each party needs. We don't want a judge determining that for us. Collectively, if the community can do that, that's a that's a durable solution in yeah. my mind. Yeah, and sadly, I, I think some of the, the parties that have said either they're neutral on or supportive of adjudication, those folks actually probably have risks um, and, and could lose out, so to speak, potentially in that litigation scenario as well. And, and I mean, particularly in what you're saying here of everybody losing out on this, the serious funding that we need for for real solutions. Again, we've been talking with Dan Keppen, executive director of Family Farm Alliance. How can people find out more about uh, what you guys do there? Sure. Probably the easiest uh, thing to do is go to our website. It's www.familyfarmalliance.org. Uh, if you're interested, um, you know, you don't have to be a member of the Family Farm Alliance. If you want to get on our, our, our news distribution list, we send out electronic newsletters every month plus every week we have blasts going out on uh, various topics and, and probably next week we'll do one on on, on your situation but uh if, if you go to our website it tells there's all kinds of resources and reports and testimony that we've done and get a good sense of what we're about and if you're interested in more or if you want to get our newsletter it, the website provides an opportunity to to register for that as well so familyfarmalliance.org their executive director dan keppen with us here on the farming show on kgmi i am dylan honkoop dan i think you know even you shared a lot of encouraging details also some challenging things uh and what we've been talking about this hour um but even just at bare minimum to hear that we aren't the only ones going through this uh it is good to hear um, that there are other places and other places maybe that are a little bit further down the road that have things that they can share with us. And I really wish that other you know parties, not just the farming community, but all, all aspects of our community here would look that stuff up, check that out, get plugged into what's happening elsewhere. We don't need to reinvent the wheel here. We can get this done. Yes, yes. And, and I, uh, you know, really a, a great template for success is just you know over the hill in the Yakima Basin. You know after the the adjudication thing sort of started out there, uh, they came together and, and developed an integrated plan. And we often mention the Yakima integrated plan in our testimony and our correspondence with the agencies in Congress because right now that thing is is clicking. There's lots of money out there, as I mentioned, but it's a competitive process. In my sense, my belief is those projects and communities that have diverse support for their projects are going to be the ones that get the dollars. And Yakima is doing it. Dan, uh, thank you so much for your time, and, and thanks for visiting us out here, too. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Dylan, it was great to meet you all. I love your community, and I'm looking forward to coming back.